crush your sugar cravings with delicious all-natural Bossa Bars for menopause. Created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. And just in time for the holidays, the new double chocolate brownie Bossa Bar. Try them at bossabars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we have a really incredible guest. We have Ruth Glenn on. And Ruth Glenn is the CEO of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She also has just come out with a really great book. Um, It is titled Everything I Never Dreamed Of, My Life, Surviving and Standing Up to Domestic Violence. You have got to read this book. You will hear about her story, the horrible things that happened to her, and how she rose above it, and how she is doing her work to help other people. And we know that this can be a triggering topic for some people, so we want to make sure to put a little trigger warning on this topic. We are actually doing two episodes this week. It'll be out today, which is Wednesday, with Ruth Glenn, who is going to talk about domestic and intimate partner violence. And then we are going to have an episode on Friday with Katie Kessner, who was one of the first women or was the first woman to be featured on Time Magazine in 1991 about her date rape. So we're going to talk about campus safety. I thought that these kind of went together, these two episodes, so that it would be important. October was Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but we could only get so many episodes up because it was a busy month for awareness issues. And so we thought it'd be good to have these on the first week in November. Like Bridget said, Ruth is a survivor of domestic violence. She was shot and left for dead. She's been kidnapped and truly a survivor in every sense of the word. And she wants to start changing the language surrounding victims and stop blaming them as if they have something, they did something to be a victim of violence, which obviously is not the case. I want to start with a little bit of statistics. Do you know an average of 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the United States? That's a crazy statistic, which means more than 12 million men and women across the country in one single year. Over one in three which is 35.6%, and one in four, which is 28.5% in the U.S., have experienced rape, physical violence, and are stalking by an intimate partner. And Ruth is very clear when she says it's not just about physical violence. It could be emotional. It could be stalking. There are many different forms of violence that can be both emotional and physical, and she's going to talk about that as well. And also the language, and she really uh, hits on how the media portrays domestic violence. And, you know, you will hear just different language that is used, like Colleen had said earlier, that there's no mutual violence. It it is just amazing. Just like you'll hear about her headline when uh, she was shot, how it just said woman shot in head. You'll hear us talk about that. And we want to make sure to include the National Domestic Violence Hotline number, which is 1-800-799-7233. Before we get started on this important conversation, we also wanted to mention to you that November means two things for Bridget and I. Number one, our holiday gift guide is in preparation mode. It'll be out next week. So we will make sure to get it out to as many people as we can. If you would like a copy 
of the gift guide. Just leave your email on hotflasheskooltopics.com. There'll be a little pop-up, add your email. We'll make sure to get you a copy. Also, our giveaway, our fourth annual holiday giveaway, which is hard to believe, is going to be starting November 28th. We're going to be doing four huge baskets of of gifts from different brands that complement each other. One is going to be on menopause symptoms and solutions. One is going to be on sleep. One is going to be on health and wellness. And the final one is going to be on skin and beauty. And you guys, Bridget and I say this every year, if we could win we would because <laughs> yes, items, it's, I know I, I hate just, giving those away, but I do. I love you. So yeah, good right. you, I love you also. Exactly. Yeah. We want to make you guys happy. And there's just something about the holidays that we love doing this giveaway and our, the brands we work with, they grow each year and they're excited to work with us as well. So with that being said, let's get our conversation with Ruth Glenn started. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, everybody. We are really honored and thrilled today to have Ruth Glenn on. Ruth is the CEO and the president of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And she also has recently released a really great book, Everything I Never Dreamed, My Life Surviving and Standing Up to Domestic Violence. So welcome today, Ruth. Thank you so much, Bridget. I'm very excited to have a conversation. Well, it it is such an important conversation and Ruth's story in her book and what she has done. It is sadly, it is terrifying. It's a horrible situation, but it is so important that women, that people everywhere, not just women, men, everyone hear yes. your story. And do you mind just giving a little bit of the background of what happened to you and where you went from there? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, as I outlined in the book, it's, um, you know, I grew up in a, um, a very poverty-ridden, abuse-ridden, all of those types of, of not-so-healthy um, environments growing up. And uh, met this man when I was 16, and, and I thought surely he was going to be the one to fix everything for me. And um, truly believed that and believed that um, our love would would make it all work out. Um, I had a child by him. Um, it was very, very shortly after our marriage, when I was 19, that um, the abuse began. And by that, I mean physical, emotional, uh, verbal abuse. Um, a lot of times when we look at domestic violence, we're thinking just physical abuse. But I must tell you, the wear and tear that he put on my psyche was something else. Uh, we stayed married for 12, 13 years. There came a time um, due to some many circumstances uh, that I realized that I was experiencing domestic violence and decided to leave. Upon my leaving, and, and I think this is one of the most important elements to recognize in my story, because I do want to be clear, my story is not that uncommon. The they little pieces of it, sure, but women endure this, particularly women, but you're correct, you know, it can happen to anybody. Uh, endure this all day, every day. Um, I, after about the first six months of having left him, um, uh, he kidnapped me at gunpoint. This was after six months of harassing, stalking, you know, as I described in the book. And trust me, there was a lot left out. 
Um, and then as part of, of, of the court case on the kidnapping, he became very, very escalated. Another really important point is because when we tell people to leave, we don't understand um, that a victim or survivor leaving um, can really escalate things. So two months later, he followed me, uh, shot me, left me for dead. Uh, I survived that with no lasting physical injuries. Want to be clear about that. Um, and then he went on the run for about four months. And my son, who was 15 at the time, he and I lived in hiding. And then he eventually uh, shot himself uh, and killed himself. Uh, it was a very sad day for us to find that out. It was also a very relieving day. Uh, and there are a lot of emotions that, that I went through. Um, but as importantly as what happened after that, and which was trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I was safe now. My son was safe now. So what do I do? And um, I just decided that I, you know, quite frankly, I could either feel sorry for myself um, as, as I felt like my mother had done for years or I could figure out how to, how to do something different. And so for the past 30 years, um, I've gone to school, uh, got two degrees, which I'm very proud of. I had never been allowed to go back to school allowed. Uh, I um, kept my job and then uh, eight years ago got this job with the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, being able to advocate in a way that I never thought I was going to be able to advocate and uh, just keep using uh, what I call my survivor voice uh, to bring survivors to the table to talk about these things in our society. Uh, so many survivors don't, don't feel like they have a voice. And I've, I'm a firm believer that in our policy and our practice or anything that we do to address domestic violence, public awareness, uh, that it must include survivor voices. And I happen to be privileged enough to be able to to do that in a way where you can't stop me. <laughs> and it's, it's so, I mean, look, you know, you've met the presidents. You met a, yeah. uh, President Obama. Joe Biden yeah. really promoted, was it still in the Senate when he started promoting what your causes were? And that's so yes. important to bring this just to the forefront. And there were so many important um, aspects in the book. And you bring up, and I've heard this time and again, just from different people. Oh, why don't they just leave? And we've talked to other people that that is the most, almost the most dangerous time. It is. It is absolutely the most dangerous. And I, and I'd like to spend one minute talking about that because it really is important. Domestic violence is about power and control. So it's not, a. It, it's about, it, there are other risk factors that are included, such as substance abuse and all of those things. But domestic violence is about power and control. So when you remove control or power from someone who is abusive, their only goal is to regain that power and to regain that control. And that usually means that they escalate their behavior to do that. And um, I tell people all the time, remember, I was gone for eight months before he shot me. Eight months. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it wasn't like it was eight days. Right. Um, 
And every situation is different. So I want to be clear about that. Sometimes it is eight days. Um, but when we, when we tell victims to leave, uh, we are not honoring and empowering them to make the best decisions for their safety first. They may have a million other reasons why they can't leave as well. Um, but I think it's really important to go back to domestic violence is about power and control. And the reason we see the escalation is they are losing control. Absolutely. And yeah. that was so evident in your book because he was, he was being, you know, he was having affairs, he was cheating. He was, yes. so it was all about controlling you. And another point that is so important, victim blaming, victim oh gosh, yeah. blaming. It, yeah. I mean, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about why that is so harmful to be a victim blamer. You know, and as a society, we I have to believe that we don't do it deliberately. It's right. not intentional. But um, adult victims of domestic violence are considered by our society as adults first. So why aren't you doing something different? You know, my my favorite, and I think I even included it in the book, is my favorite line that I've heard myself, but but many victims and survivors have heard is, it would only take one time. Well, I think that 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 would be good for you if that were possible. But to say that really puts the onus back on the victim to say, you can make the change. Well, I would challenge us to think differently. Um, I think, you know, the, the dynamics of domestic violence um, would take us about four podcasts to talk about. Yeah, I'll try to yeah. Uh, try to encapsulate it. Uh, these people do not come into the relationship either saying or thinking that they're going to abuse, right? Or saying or thinking, "I want to be abused." You come into it with love and hope and all of those things uh, most of the time, the majority of the time. When that person starts being abusive, you're thrown off kilter. You're kind of like, what is happening right now? And then when you begin to think about that it's it's probably not right, it isn't right, you have a society that is giving you these subtle messages, these overt messages that, well, you can change it. Well, I would say that that's part of the problem is our society does not yet understand that it is not that simple. Um, I didn't say this in the book, I don't think, but I oftentimes think of being in a relationship with someone who is abusive as being a POW, which is you're under control. And before you know it, what has happened here? Um, I, I like to think that I'm a strong woman. I've always been strong. My childhood taught me to be strong. Um, and independent and um, self-sufficient and all of those things. I would have never thought that I would see myself in a closet being threatened, that I couldn't come out of the closet, right? Thrown in the closet with a vacuum. And when I think about that moment in time, I'm kind of like, yeah, it was that POW type of thing. And I don't want to minimize you know, what prisoners of war want to go, uh, what, uh, want to go through, 
what prisoners of war experience. And I don't want to minimize anyone's experience. Everyone's experience is different when they are being victimized and traumatized. What I am saying is that as a society, we subtly and overtly tell adult victims of domestic violence that it's their fault because they're an adult and they should be able to make different choices. Um, it is so very harmful. Right. It, it is. And, you know, you cannot ever talk about a situation unless you've been in that situation. Absolutely. You don't, you don't know what a situation is. And I think, you know, the older I get, the more I realize you don't yes. know what a situation is for anybody unless they are, you're there yourself in it. But I feel like when women like you come out and you share these stories, then the first thing is other women don't feel alone in this. Right. They feel like, yes, this is okay. This has happened to someone else. This person is out right. there and they're trying to do something to help other women like me. And it, it, it is just so important. And another thing that I thought it, it just is so eye opening in your book is the way the media portrays what happens to women, um, to domestic violent women. And just like your situation, the headline for your situation, what happened to you? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I'm also very privileged to be in a position, um, in my current position, to be able to talk to media. You know, yeah. they call for various and sundry reasons. I find it one of the most powerful things that I'm able to do, and particularly around public awareness, is to say, please don't use that language. That's not, you know, um, I'll give you an example, the Amber Heard thing about mutual abuse. I said, Please do not use that language. You're minimizing. I haven't, you know, we're not even talk about, talking about who the real victim or perpetrator is in this moment of time when you and I are discussing it. But I'm telling you, please don't use mutual abuse. So that's an example of the opportunities I have to change just the language. Now, I say just the language, but I cannot tell you how important it is. Um, you know, there was an altercation. Well, what altercation? It sounds to me as though this was domestic violence. And if we don't call it domestic violence, we are playing into the victim blaming. We're making it a mutual type of thing. When if you look at even the story, not even the police reports or, or anything like that, but if you even look at the story, I'm going to teach you a little bit about domestic violence dynamics, and I want you to look at this and tell me now what do you think. Please, in your future reporting, take a harder look at what the dynamics of domestic violence are, and please call it that. So it's been it's been a probably one of my greatest privileges is being able to, and they don't know any better. Uh, but but the influence that they have on our society is really important. And if you as the media aren't using the correct language to describe what has happened in a situation in which a man has gone in, killed his wife, killed his three children, and then killed himself, and you talk about it as a murder-suicide only, we're missing something here. That was domestic violence. And that, you know, and, and I, I'm using the worst case scenario, but 
Um, I find it such a privilege to be able to do that. And I encourage anyone to be able to do that. You know, we have a, a, a person here who will write an op-ed in a moment, you know, in, a, in my home state, who will write an op-ed in a moment to the, to the editors and say, no, 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 that's domestic violence. And I appreciate her championing that. Yeah, I think that is so important. And I, you see that coming out too, where they're just call this what it is. Don't diminish what has happened to someone. And, you know, your example, the headline, um, what, what happened to you, said woman shot in head. And, yeah. and you said, you don't know who did that. You don't know. Right. You could have done it yourself. You know, right. with the headline, it could have meant that. But let's call it for what it is. I know in the book you bring about the the Me Too movement right. is another thing that happened right. there. Um, and can you talk about the good points of it, maybe some things that maybe you would change with that? Yeah. Um, so speaking of movements, I think one of the things that gets lost, and I, I will take responsibility that sometimes I forget, um, there is such a relationship between sexual violence and domestic violence such a relationship, you will find that those that commit sexual, sexual violence will commit domestic violence. So the Me Too movement was remarkable. I am really disappointed that we see it waning and waning and waning. Um, but I do have to say that I feel that those that were harmed by sexual violence had that moment in time where they felt supported, they could speak up. I would say to you, we have not done the same thing about domestic violence. And, it, and it's bothersome. You know, domestic violence still is couched in that old school thinking. It happens in the home. We can't talk about it. You know, um, again, you know, the adult victim is responsible to some degree for this. So we're not going to make uh, we're not going to get involved in domestic violence. I don't think people are doing it deliberately. I just think that's what our society says. I'd like to also remind us that another three to four hour podcast, um, we still live in a patriarchal society. 85 to 95% of victims of domestic violence are women. If we don't figure out how to make movements that hold men accountable for the domestic violence, but also includes men in domestic violence. All men are not perpetrators of domestic violence. I have met some of the most wonderful, thoughtful men uh, in this past eight years who want to do something. They definitely come at it from a, a different perspective. But how do we make movements that include them to help us tear down those patriarchal boundaries. How do we do that? I don't know yet. <laughs> and, and that was something, you know, in your book too, where you talked, you were interviewing um, someone that was going to work for you and you asked her, what do you think is the cause? And she said the P word patriarchy. Right. And, you know, it, it is, it, it and is. it's been ingrained for ever. Um, Absolutely. For, for the beginning of time, can you talk a little bit about why the patriarchy is such an issue, why this causes this? I would challenge us to think our society in general is still patriarchal driven. So it's not only domestic violence uh, that is impacted by our patriarchal society. It's everything we do. 
We still have uh, a patriarchy of, of which white men are the patriarchs. We still uh, subscribe unintentionally most of the time to what that means about how we address social issues, right? Domestic violence, sexual violence, and uh, ending our, our violence against women in general, quite frankly, any other social issue, Black Lives Matter. I mean, all of those things. We have this, this wall of patriarchy that prevents us. It, you know, it's like every time we think we can get over uh, that patriarchal wall puts up another layer of bricks and makes it higher and higher. What it does is it it says to victims of domestic violence, you won't be heard. Um, you know, I'll use an example really quickly. What we're seeing is an increase in system abuse. By that, I mean family courts, even first responders, that type of thing. We are seeing that because men are most frequently the abusive persons, they know and begin to use systems against their victim, particularly in family court. She's crazy. I want custody. Okay, I, I will split up custody, but I want this. I mean, the list goes on and on. But I gotta tell you, as much as we educate court systems in particular, because that's the example I'm using right now, we still find that those court systems are getting sucked back into that patriarchal view, which is um, the man, as much as you want to say they're not, the man is giving given just that much more grace in which he can use the system to abuse. Um, there are a lot of high-profile cases that we can refer to to even understand that. But um, so, so I, I just see it as this wall that our society has, and every time we think that we can do something about it, um, those walls are put up again. Absolutely. Or you know that extra layer of brick is put on it, and. and we're once again faced with, well, now what do we do? Another interesting thing in the book, and you always, we always wonder why are there abusers? Why are, and it's not, you know, what we have to say, it's not the person who's being abused. It's not their fault. No. And, and they, you know, of course they, the whole message is, well, what did you do? You know, you get this message. Yes. What did you do to make them what so angry? What did you do? Yeah. And, you know, you talk about, just statistics in general about, and it's not always the case. And there's a lot of people that don't ever abuse that come from situations. But can you talk about like what comes up as some of the indicators of someone who is typically an abuser? You know, um, there's a couple of things that I would love to tell your audience, um, particularly as women. Um, it's not like they come with a sign that says, I'm going to abuse you, right? They are charming. They are all things. But I will say, we have got to trust our intuition. I think as women that we have been taught by this patriarchal society that we should not 
trust that intuition. It's either that we're overly emotional or we're overreacting or any of those things. If your intuition, no matter how charming, lovely, kind, any of those things, most of the time you're going to have a little thing in the back of your head that says something's not quite right. Um, I was on TikTok last night, and there's a wonderful hashtag called domestic violence awareness. I know I happen to be a TikToker now. There is There was a woman on there who explained it perfectly like I've been trying to. If we pay attention to our intuition, the red flags begin popping up. Oh, you know, I'm really not in a place to meet your family right now. Or, you know, who's that on the phone? Or, um, you know, we can share phone plans. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, you, uh, you know, I love your children, but can we make sure that they do X in the room and blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, the list, the list is very long and we could go through it a lot. But if you begin to find yourself isolated, in other words, you don't have um, the nights out with your friends that you're accustomed to, of course you've got to meet somebody halfway. But if, it is, if it's starting to be where I never see my friends anymore in my family, think about it. If somebody wants to know why you're on the phone with so-and-so, I, I didn't know it was your business, uh, you know, um, there are so many, um, you know, uh, I can take, I can handle the paychecks. Let me handle the finances. I can sign the mortgage. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, there are so many ways, either dating or entering into a marriage in which we don't trust our intuition enough. And I wish I had more concrete red flags. There are so many, and they really do depend on the individual. But just know that you have a right to say, you know what? I think we should stay engaged for a little while longer. I'm not, something's not quite right here. Or, you know, it was so nice to meet you, and I'm glad we have those two dates. Uh, but I got to tell you, there's just not something working for me. Mm -hmm. um, and being okay with, with, you know, I, I want us to also know that just because we stopped something, because those red flags were going up for us, doesn't mean we can't figure out what it was. And maybe it wasn't quite what we thought it was. And we go back to it. And anybody that you say we need to stop right now that doesn't, is not okay with that? You know, I also want to remind all of us that um, victims don't go out looking for abusive persons. Right. Abusive persons go out looking for victims. I, because I've been victimized doesn't mean I'm a victim all the time. It's just that person has been very, very charming, very um, persuasive. Um, you will find yourself doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do. And you're like, wait a minute, why did I do that? Oh, that's why. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, absolutely. It's also a really interesting point, part of that isolation. It's kind of like the begin, the victim begins to do that as well. So the, And it is for that reason. I want to protect 
those that I care about. I don't, so not only the shame and humiliation, but there is absolutely a protective factor in there. Absolutely. Also another important point about why some women don't leave. So as a white woman, you would say, well, I have, I have the police. I can call the police. And I would challenge us to think that there are so many communities of women who do not feel that extra element of comfort. It is not the only reason that that women don't leave. White women, women of, of color and all of that. But think about it. I think that there's an assumption from some white women that you can just call the police. Well, no, I can't because so many things can go bad. Yes. Or at least that's been my experience. Or at least I know that my community has experienced that. And it's not just about the the person that's hurting me. It's about what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to the person that's hurting me? What's going to happen to my community? And the list goes on and on. Yeah, and it's a a lot of reflection and a lot of, hey, I know this wouldn't be the same for people I know. And, you know, I also want to talk about um, just you talk about uh, programs, accountability uh, for abusers. And also, you also talk about that there's, there's what can we do for accountability, but is there anything we can do to have abusers change what they are doing? Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to, that's when it is a hard one. Well, I think um, it's one of the problems also with our society about domestic violence. Um, we're ready to do the victim blaming, but we're not ready to figure out what it is that drives some people to have that desire for power and control. What is that? Uh, we have not done enough as a, as a nation, just talking about the United States, um, to identify what, 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 what is that? Why is it? Um, you know, we used to try to blame men who grew up in abusive households. Well, I know many men who grew up in abusive households that would never think of harming anyone. We tried to blame, you know, and the list goes on and on. It, well, they have a substance abuse problem or they work too hard. Or, nope. Um, every man who is an abusive man, just speaking of men in general right now, has a different set of issues. Just like victims come with a different set of issues. So there must be something there and we just don't know what it is. And until we do that, and remember, if, unless we begin to really explore that, research it, study it, figure it out, we're going to continue to victim blame and we're going to continue to have this public health crisis. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is a we're public not, health yeah, crisis. We're not yes. getting to the root of it. Right. And I, and I you it's know, not the victim. It's not. It's not. And that's you know always to me. I always think when I hear these situations or see this happening, what, why is that abuser being abusive? That is yeah. why is that abuser being abusive? And you know there are different studies and tests that you mention in your book, and you know court cases as well. Um, it, it was interesting. One of the I think it was in Virginia the court case the, where they I think a lot of women when they're, they've been um, abused in court, maybe they'll drop the protective order. 
and you were talking about the case in Virginia, before they do that, they gave like a questionnaire. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm so glad that's gone away. It really does put the onus back on the victim to decide, you know, asking for a revocation of the, the PO and um, there's another term for it, but we'll get back to that. Um, so when we make the victim responsible for that, they become responsible for everything, including the abuse. Right. I am so grateful that some states have begun to say, even though that can be problematic as well, but some of them have begun to say, we're, we're going to take this case as the state. It's going to be the state against the abuser, not the victim against the abuser. So that way, if she retracts or he retracts, let's talk about all of it, then it's still the state case. Um, now, unfortunately, we may not be able to get the victim here to testify, but as the state, we have enough evidence to say we don't need the victim's testimony. Mm -hmm. um, that relieves the victim of a huge burden because we talked about family courts, but can you imagine sitting in criminal court um, yeah. as a victim uh, facing your abusive person? And, uh, you know, having a lawyer fight to say he has the right uh, to have the victim in front of him. And um, there, there's also several jurisdictions now they're using video, which mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Victim can appear, but she gets to appear via video. Right. It doesn't um, have to look at them. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'd like to ask you, you know, could you, if you could talk a little bit more about the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and what you, you know, what would you like to see for its future? So it, you and I are talking at a very interesting time. My book has come out at a very interesting time. <laughs> it's so fascinating what's happened in my life in the last couple of years. Um, so uh, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is now a part of a merging organization with the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So we have become Project OPAL. I am now the president of public affairs. Um, and it thrills me to no end because that public awareness that we talked about, I no longer have to do the, the kind of... Uh, work that that was really keeping the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence from doing the public awareness work and the policy work, uh, put it in a nutshell. So still the, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence with the National Domestic Violence Hotline, but now I get to do public affairs very much like what you and I are doing today and continue to talk about it until I am blue in the face. <laughs> and uh, really hope that for my tenure remaining here, unknown to date, that I will be allowed to continue to have platforms for survivors, for victims, for advocates, and for children, for anyone who is being affected by domestic violence, and anyone who has a genuine interest in trying to figure out how we address this public health crisis. How do we, is it, is it that we need to do more research and study on, on abusers? What do we need to do? So, that's the future for myself and the, and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So really exciting time um, um, for me. Oh, that, and that is fantastic work that you're doing. And please, everyone, I encourage you, um, if you if 
if you see this, this, I'm holding up the book, Everything I Never Dreamed, My Life Surviving and Standing Up to Domestic Violence. And it's Ruth Glenn. And I appreciate you being on the show so much. It's also on audiobooks. So I have both. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bridget, very much. Thank you so much, Ruth Glenn. This was an important conversation for everyone to hear. You may have violence in your family, with friends, and it's important to know, again, that the National Domestic Violence Hotline numbers 1-800-799-7233. And make sure to put on your calendars that the gift guide and our giveaway are starting up. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, all forms of social media. We will also have the dates for those events as well. Have a great week, guys. Bye.